episode of Crime and Coffee. My name's Mike. My name's Allison. Yeah, and uh, we are a married duo that comes out with a weekly podcast talking about um, any kind of crime that we looked into that tickles our fancy, if you will. Tickles our feet, tickles our fancy. Yeah, tickles anything. Really, at this point in my life, I'm looking for any kind of tickle. (laughs) That's kind of creepy. 42 years old. 42 year old that wants to be tickled. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, looking for that joy of childhood. Yeah, Yeah, no, that joy's gone. Yeah. The door slammed on that. (laughs) (laughs) Last night, we are pet sitting two dogs, and then we had our son's friend sleep over. So it was just chaos in the house, and. Um, I think I went to bed mad because our son was acting like a little a-hole. Yeah. So, and then I, I was like laying in bed and I'm like, I don't even know if I said goodnight to you. No, you probably didn't. That's okay. Well, was, no, no, you said goodnight. I think. I did. hope so because that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing my final little, uh, little pieces and takes on the, uh, this case I'm going to present today, but I think you did. Um, yeah. I mean, our, our son, he was, the reason I bring up tickling, like him and his friend were like wrestling each other, but like laughing. I'm like, are you guys like tickling each other? Like, this is, this is weird. Uh, and then they're with our daughter and locked her in a dog cage and tape the cage shut and then put soap on the tape. I'm like, what the hell? What is all over this tape? Um, I would imagine the only reason for that is to kind of make it slippery so she can't take it off. I don't know. Uh, you know, you know something bad is going on when your son comes out and goes, Hey, uh, Dad, uh, where's the duct tape? And we're like, no, you're not getting duct tape. There's <laughs> like, absolutely no reason for you to have duct tape. He's not the, um, you know, the, the, the hardest of workers when it comes to finding things. Um, so we knew, I was like, well, I know exactly where it is in the garage in a certain shelf. There's no way he's going to find it because the kid will look for something for about 10 seconds before giving up. He was yelling across the house last week, going, mom, where's my shirt? And I was getting ready. So I didn't hear him. His shirt was literally the first thing you saw on the foot of his bed. Yeah. And his room's not huge, so it was right there. (laughs) (laughs) It's like one of those things, like you ever go to the pantry and like know what you're looking for, like a, you know, maybe the refrigerator, you're looking for the ketchup bottle. It's like right in front of you. You know it's there. It's like, I just used it. For sure. I actually think of you because we have a storage closet at work in the hospital. And, you know, if a patient's looking for toothpaste or some random thing, I go in there and get it for them. But I don't go in there super often. I'm not a nurse. So I feel like you, I'm like, I will find this stuff in toothpaste. Like I know it's here. There's no doubt about it. My eyes are like left to right. You're doing like alphabetical order. Like a book. Yeah. You're like, nope, 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 nope. But then you're like, wait, maybe it looks differently than what my brain's expecting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our son. He's a, he's a good kid. He's a good kid, loving kid. Just gets in a little hijinks that kind of... <laughs> oh, he's a 13-year-old boy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then dog sitting. That is a good time so far. We really have four time. dogs in the house right now. Mm-hmm. We so. have to be quiet for the youngest dog. He uh, If he hears you at all, he starts barking and wants to come out. So, so we're like, should we make coffee this morning or not? <laughs> yeah. We're like, we're having coffee. We're having coffee. Bo be damned. Bo be damned. This is called Crime and Coffee, and we cannot do the podcast without the coffee. Right. We'll start to get the shakes, and then it just won't sound good overall. And I think Mike got about three and a half hours of sleep last night. Yeah, I feel pretty good. I mean, right now, it, it was a nap, really, is what I'm considering. Yeah, it in my a long brain. nap, I'd yeah, say. It was a long nap. And uh, you know what? Because I want to bring the best for our listeners out there. We appreciate all the downloads. We're almost at 500. That's, that's awesome. pretty damn good. It's appreciated. I mean, in two weeks, that's pretty good. And um, we are kind of switching things up because we're away next weekend. So we had to just shift our dates. So Mike's came a little early. Mike's podcast. Oh, right. 
And um, so he had to kind of pull an all-nighter for this. Yeah, yeah. Lord knows I'm already prepared for next week, but, you yeah. know, that's neither here nor there. Well, you're one of those people that gets shit done. Yeah. I was like the the nerd in school with multiple colors of pens taking notes. That was me. So. And had your project done like three days in advance. Yeah. Like, I'm not a last-minute person. I That gives me anxiety. My projects, no doubt, were done the night before with like seconds to spare, <laughs> without well, a doubt. we met in high school. So, you know, we were juniors in high school and we met and we would be talking at work and I'd ask you about whatever you were doing with school and I remember you said oh yeah blah blah blah, it's due and it was a big project and I was like wait when (laughs) so I had you come to my house and I helped you with actually a lot because remember you would have to write stories or something and you gave no detail whatsoever yeah in my brain it just didn't make sense like my teachers would always ask more detail more detail but I I knew it was happening in my brain I just didn't put on the paper well so I'm a reader and remember I said to you you have to let me walk into the room with you and picture what this room around me looks like. Strangely enough, you were the best teacher I ever had out of all the freaking teachers I had. Maybe they said it and maybe it was just I wasn't interested in what they had to say because I wasn't interested in getting in their pants like I was yours. Right. Or maybe I was shaking your shoulders as I said it to you. Yeah. More detail. Or maybe massaging my shoulders. Perhaps. And, you know, who knows what Of course, happens. back then we were young and had no children and had a vivancy to ourselves. Is that a word, vivancy? Now it is. It is now. Yeah, they're going to pick it up at Webster's. Now we're is Webster's still down. a dictionary? Is that even a thing? It is. Are they out of business because of being a dictionary? They're online. Kind of like phone books and such. You're like, you know, we don't really need them. No, certainly no. not. No. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I'm a last minute guy. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ready to uh, get into this guy? Ready. Here? Okay. So I am, being a huge true crime person like you are, um, yeah, I'm just getting into the genre. I would imagine you've, you're familiar with this story at the very least. But think about how many stories there are. Well, you said you've listened to, I mean, you listen to My Favorite Murder and Crime Junkie. No, you don't listen? Yeah, I listen to okay, Crime, Junkie. Crime Junkie. I listen to Morbid. I listen to yep. Dateline. I listen yep. to Sword and Scale. I listen to all of them, but... And I listen to them like all day. Like right. that's what I listen to in my drive to work. When I'm charting at work, I listen to them. But you can't cover everything. Yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, if you listen to every single episode of every single podcast, it'd be thousands of hours. Well, think about Dateline 2020. I mean, those are shows that are on constantly and yeah. they're still not covering everything. Right. Well, every day there's new things going exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. In every city. Right. Exactly. So this one's interesting. I, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to kind of, my focus is going to be more on the weird ones, like really kind of like bizarre. Just yeah. so like this one bizarre. This one jumped out to me as being bizarre, just completely weird. Oh, and I did want to comment really quickly yeah. because obviously last week we will have played the one I presented, which was um, the Sylvia Lichen story. Mm-hmm. And that was a very, very heavy one. So I kind of thought after the fact, I was like, man, I hope that wasn't like too much of a downer. I mean, I was friggin' crying. Well, nice thing about podcast world. You, I, I was definitely, you got into, you give your all to everything and you were crying horribly. If you haven't <laughs> listened to that I one, know, I'm kind of back. embarrassed. No, no, it's good. It's good to be vulnerable. But I'm a mother and a human being. And what happened to that girl was just so beyond my imagination that a person could do that to somebody so anyway i just wanted to put it out there that i'm kind of embarrassed that i got my emotions got the best of me don't be i was actually watching sex in the city i rewatch that show every so often and they were talking about girls who cry at work and that it's not a good thing you know because you don't want you want to present yourself professionally Mm. and i I guess in a way i kind of thought that maybe i wasn't professional enough but you know what we're not professional 
right now. This is a side thing. Yeah, I guess so. We're not getting paid for anything. I mean, this is us just talking about a murder that hit you in the heart, you know? Yeah. Maybe if a news reporter would cry once in a while, it'd be even better. That's what I thought of, too. I was like, news reporters don't cry. Well, yeah, they're the most static and plastic, you know, not not people, but just how the the genre. They have to be. Yeah, that's expected of them. So that that whole profession is static and plastic. Yeah. I like the guys that are like, you know, do the, the variety pieces. They're like, hey, it's me here out today at this location you know like we've got a guy charlie belcher in tampa that you know he does the the interesting stuff like i can tell like i kind of know the guy Mm -hmm. i I can kind of feel his personality whereas the anchors you don't really know them no you don't know them at all because they're all just putting a face on which they they want that they don't want to be part of anything they want to deliver the news yeah and i get that too but it is kind of funny that we don't want to like be like human emotional people on the news right and I get it. They have to deliver the news and you can't get emotional. It's kind of like a doctor. You can't cry over every patient that's diagnosed with cancer or that dies. Otherwise, you'd be a weeping mess all day. Sure. And then you eventually get desensitized to a lot of the stuff. You have to, to survive. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's also times are changing. Like news reporters came from like when TV started, you know, in the 50s or whatever, 60s, 50s, 40s. I don't oh, know. When TV- <laughs> no, I was not yet born. So I'm just going to blame it on that. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, there was a different expectation then. You couldn't talk about being pregnant you couldn't talk about you know other things you know just a lot of very you know and that really hasn't changed in a long no, time No, it really hasn't so uh whereas now we're getting kind of more into people being people like it's just even in my career it's more like people talking to people in sales like i'm in the sales career and instead of like selling it's more about finding out of people's problems and how i can solve them instead exactly. of my product so it's just it's it's a different and yeah. really quickly too we do have a doctor that found out that this woman was dying and she had no family to come and be with her so this doctor stopped what she was doing in her busy day and came to the bedside of this patient's room for about 45 minutes and held her hand while she passed away that's awesome i was so moved by that it actually did bring tears to my eyes, although I am an easy crier. It's like it's like one of those things you want to tell somebody about, like a CEO or whatever. Um, but doctors really have nobody above themselves because they are their own CEOs. Yeah, but they deserve credit for that. But at the same time, you're like, wait, if I tell the CEO that they are sitting there and you know not doing rounds, then... oh, I think the CEO would be okay with that as a you know right. compassionate it, human being. You would assume that they're an end of life care. Yes, you would assume that they are. So. That's nice. That's kind of a nice little story. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, but uh, back to murder. I mean, let's get back murder to Murder and mayhem and yeah, mystery. Exactly. So this guy's name uh, was Robert Wan. Wan, mm-hmm. like W-O-N? Uh, so it's W-O-N-E. Okay, Wan. Yep, and he's uh, he was an Asian American. So um, I would, the, way they, the way it sounds on the news reports, it's almost like Wong, but without the G. Got it. So Wan. That's what I got from you, yeah. Yep. So Robert Wan was the oldest of three children from his parents, William and Amy. He was born on June 1st, 1971, Brooklyn, New York, and he was a fourth-generation Chinese-American. His great-grandparents came over to New York from China in the 1930s. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so he was known as a nice guy, smart, very kind, um, You know, so kind he occasionally did things like sneaking out of his college dorm room at night and clean bird shit off of statues. Jeez. Or like put... Uh, change into people's parking meters like just random people that he saw um, just strangers so they wouldn't get a parking ticket that's somebody that i always think imagine if we had more people like that in the world what a what an amazing place this would be if everybody was like if that, everybody it'd be freaking awesome man it'd be like everybody would be walking around just whistling and you know, you know the majority of people are kind of self-serving and yeah. selfish mm-hmm. um you know 
like that's above and beyond cleaning bird crap especially the highlight there is that he was a college student i know you expect like partying and getting wasted and then, yes yeah you know. not thinking oh this statue is looking a little you know dirty yeah yeah so and there was a, a reason that he did those things here i'm going to talk about it in a second but so he was an awesome student really bright future ahead of him he went to the college of william and mary in virginia which is a good college. I've, I've heard of it. You know, I always think it's funny because it's called the College of William and Mary. It's like, who were William and Mary? I don't know. I don't know, uh, but yeah. apparently they were worth naming a college for. Right. And um, he worked as a top aide to the president of this, the uh, university. So he quickly made friends that were similar to him. You know, bright, good students, had a good future ahead of them. You know, surrounding himself with success. Success begets success, basically. And what do they say? You're a product of like the four or five people you hang around with? Yeah, you're an average of like the five closest friends that you have. I believe that. I believe it too. So it's like if you look at your friends and like half of them you think are losers, well, there's a good chance you might be a loser too. Well, and it depends too in your stage in life. You know, those are things you learn. Like when I was in you know, high school, I had some people in my group that were just not, not nice. Like one actually like drove me to anorexia, at least encouraged it. I can't put the blame on her. It was on me. But um, I I remember one day I was I was dating you. I was about 18. And I looked at her. and I'm like, why am I friends with this girl? That's the mature thing to do. And that took time to just say, like, I'm, I am said to her, I, I can't have you in my life anymore. Well, I never, when I was young, I never stopped and thought, oh, what are my friends making me right now? No, but, you look but back like and if they're like, bringing oh. you down in, you know, life. Yeah. And it's like, I could have cut off some relationships earlier than I did. Yeah. But, yeah. but that's a learning. Exactly. So it was at the College of William and Mary that he met Joseph Price, a guy that we'll talk about later. So remember that name. Joseph Price. Yeah. Got it. Um, Joey I mean, P. You're, you're not going to forget it by the time we're done with this. So Joseph Price was a hotshot future lawyer. He was a person that Robert partnered up with to bring back the 13 Club at school. So there was a club that was around called the 13 Club, kind of went defunct, and they brought it back. What the 13 Club did, they did secret acts of kindness, like the ones mentioned earlier. Wow, what a cool club. Yeah, so, you know, there's kind of nice guys and wanted to do good for the community and um, you know, kind of organize that whole thing. So... Robert graduated with a bachelor's degree in 1996, and then he went on to get his law degree from the University of Pennsylvania in 1999. So Pennsylvania, big-time Ivy League school. Nice in the 90s. Yep, yep. So as you can imagine, he landed a job with a big-time law firm called Covington & Burling, and he was a rising star in the Asian-American legal community. Where was this law firm? Uh, I don't know. Because I know you said he was from Brooklyn, so I wondered if he went back to New York. Uh, He will. Um, yes. So he, he went to New York and then he ended up um, going towards um, Washington, D.C. Got it. Yeah. So he ended up meeting his wife at a legal conference in 2002. Her name was Kathy Yu. Uh, Kathy was the daughter of Korean immigrants and sh- uh, she grew up in Chicago. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. Kind of like we did. My kind of town. Yep. Sorry, I'm not a professional singer. That's okay. It's beautiful. You want to go on? No, I'm good. We don't sure. want to torture the listeners anymore. Yeah. So Kathy, as you can imagine, was also set for success, being a great student and also a talented lawyer. Ah, yeah, I so. figured as much. These two are going to be set. They're a uh, high-powered couple. You get two A-plus type of uh, <laughs> professions together, you glue them together, they're going to be a power couple. And then they're going to have kids and they're going to be super smart, hopefully. They, right. <laughs> you never know if the power of two you know, powerful parents will uh, crush you. Mm. Well, the odds are that it's going to be pretty yeah. good for them. You know, things are going to be pretty good. So um, after they met at this conference, Kathy and Robert started dating and got pretty serious pretty quickly. 
Um, Robert ended up proposing to her within a year. Hmm. Yep, she moved in uh, to be with him near Washington, D.C., uh, in the city of Oakton, Virginia. So, you know, like in D.C., a lot of people live outside of D.C. Cause, yeah. You know, just Virginia, like everything's super expensive there. And even like even two hours out, things are expensive because you're close to D.C. Crazy. There's all this money between lobbyists and all these uh, obvious, you know, governmental type people and all that stuff. It's got to be hard to be a young person wanting to get in, you know, when you can't afford. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, imagine the, the interns and stuff. Right. And you, I guess come, you have to commute, right? Take a train or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of young, you know, you see a lot of younger like representatives being elected and stuff like they can't afford to live there until they start getting their paychecks. Unless mommy and daddy have a fat bank account. Right. Which a lot of them do. Yeah. So, and then they're donors that are super rich and all Wouldn't that, that be nice? Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, she moved to uh, Oakton, Virginia to be with Robert and they were married in 2003. Aw, a year after us. Mm-hmm. And by all counts, they had a happy and loving marriage. That's nice. Yeah. So uh, things are going pretty good. By the time 2006 rolled around, as you can imagine, they were successful. Everything was pointed in the one direction. Yeah, I always think of uh, uh, The Simpsons where Millhouse is like, everything's coming up, Millhouse. Yeah, <laughs> everything's coming up one at this point. They're both in awesome careers they love. They had plenty of friends that were very successful and caring. And everything was firing all cylinders, really, until... No. Well, we're talking about the story, so I didn't think it was going to end very well. (laughs) Right. That's not a a big surprise, but uh, this is where things go a little bit wrong. Is it still 2006? Uh, Yes. So uh, things did not turn out all roses for the wands. Early summer 2006, so I'll get into a more specific date, but early summer 2006, Robert Wan wasn't really happy being a successful lawyer um, at at, at this law firm. So I guess he really didn't feel like fulfilled in himself and he wanted to do something better like just sure like something that would affect uh, his community more his mm-hmm. asian american community he felt like he he had the power to do stuff and he just wasn't yeah know? so i get that especially he seems like the kind of guy that does want to make a better difference yeah and could be successful and has some pull and you know can really end up making a difference like you said so you know he, he was kind of at a crossroads and he wanted to do something important like i said for his asian uh community so have you ever like sat and at your desk and asked yourself like, you know, everybody has this question. Like, am I happy? Yeah, of course. Am I truly happy? I mean, isn't that really one of the most impo- important things at the end of your life to like think, did I live a happy and fulfilling life? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's very so, important. Now, the downside, a lot of us don't have the advantage of, you know, having a dual lawyer income. Sure. So. I mean, some of us are just on survival mode and wanting to pay the bills and you really don't have the luxury of evaluating your happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And you can sit and yeah, think you know, like this would make me happier, but maybe it wouldn't bring in as much money or, you know, I'd love to live in Hawaii for a year, but you know, I've got a wife and kids and they're going to school and you know, <laughs> like there's a lot of things that you know, sure. change. So but anyways, good for him. Robert told his wife, Kathy, that he was going to apply to be the general counsel for Radio Free Asia. Oh. So Radio Free Asia, according to Wikipedia, is a U.S. government-funded nonprofit um, news service that broadcasts radio programs and publishes online news and information to its audiences in Asia. Okay. So, so they're broadcasting to Asia. Right. Yep, different countries in Asia. Okay. So they provide independent reporting and they provide accurate and uncensored reporting to countries in Asia that have poor media environments and limited protections from the freedom of press and freedom of speech. So basically keeping them educated as to what's going on in the world. Yeah. Or in, in Asia 
or so, okay so is it specific to asia or for the most part world news no it, because their governments you know kind of keep a lot of things away from them okay and i'm surprised their government is allowing this to be broadcast right. in, in certain areas well they probably find secret ways to get to it you know through different vpns and such um if you want to know really you know because like north korea for instance sure well that's actually what i was thinking of obviously yep so they have a section for north korea and china and you know and and any communist type place that is going to try to suppress information. Right. So that's where this comes through. He wants oh. to help other people out there know the real shit that's going on. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool stuff. So um, if he got this job at Radio Free Asia, it would mean a big decrease in salary. So working for a nonprofit versus a big shot law firm, you can imagine. Right. And you're you're going to take quite a hit. Got to evaluate, you know, what you're willing to sacrifice. Yep. So luckily, Kathy had a successful career at a health care consulting firm. It made enough to cover both of them. Good job, Kathy. Yeah. So they'd be fine. And she was fully supportive. She's Girl like, Girl power. Yep. She's like, Go for it. What so, a good wife. Yep. So she went, th- or Robert went through the interview process and obviously got the job. Otherwise, I wouldn't be bringing this up. <laughs> I was like, That would be. <laughs> and he was turned down for the job and went back to being a lawyer. Yeah. The end. So, anyways. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up this week's crime and coffee. We'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, he, he got the job. And uh, by early August, so it would be you know, between early summer and then mm-hmm. by August, he had a couple months under his belt. He was getting to know people, um, getting to know how things worked at the new gig. So he started to get the hang of things in general. So here we are on August 2nd okay. of 2006. 2006. Yep. So there's some legal seminar at night, a continuing education seminar that Robert wanted to attend. And he planned to go visit the late shift at Radio Free Asia to introduce himself there. So his idea was to go first to the seminar, then go pop in on Radio Free Asia, be like, hey, I'm your lawyer, you know, for Radio Free Asia. Nice to meet you guys. How's it going for, you know, because it's radio all day long. That's what I was going to say is it's a 24-7 operation. Yeah. So he wanted to go in and introduce himself, shake mm-hmm. some hands and That stuff. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So he talked it over with his wife, Kathy. And they both agreed it would make sense for him to spend the night in Washington, D.C. So he didn't have to make the trip home to Oakton, Virginia. Yep. So I looked it up. And right now, the train is about 40 minutes from D.C. to Virginia. But I'd imagine, you know, during rush hour and stuff. Well, obviously, rush hour is different. But this would be late. But, you know, by the time he gets out of the seminar, it's like 930. And maybe for safety purposes or something, you know, once it gets like midnight, you don't want to be a super high-priced lawyer on the train. and Or in general, it's probably not the best. Right. Now, the trains in Chicago, like the Metro line, they don't run all night, right? No, at some point they cut off. Yeah. I don't know if there's a, you know, a limitation of how many trains went out. And maybe, you know, the last one went on a certain time. I don't know. Regardless, but. it makes sense to just stay the night. Correct. So... Anyways, um, let's see. So it just so happened that Robert's good friend lived in downtown Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, a person that Kathy knows very well from their college days. It's not Joseph Price. It's Joseph Price. Joey P. Yeah, Joe P. Joey P. Lives, uh, lives down in Washington, D.C. Okay, DC. so yeah. he's going to maybe catch a room there with Joey. Yep. So as you might remember, Joe and Robert met at William & Mary. Um, Joe graduated in total. Uh, 2003, and then went on to get his law degree from the University of Virginia. So he was also very active in the gay community at school, okay. being a gay man, and uh, which you just learned now. And after graduating from the University of Virginia, he became the president of the Gay and Lesbian Alumni Association. So by t- 2006, Joe was a partner at a national law firm called Arendt Fox. Arendt Fox? Arendt? I think it's Arendt Fox. Um, things were also going well for Joe. Okay. 
Okay. So, and you said he knew Kathy too? Yep. Okay. Because um, Kathy and Robert met in school and Robert and Joe were pretty close. Got it. So, yeah. Um, so not only was his professional life going well, but his personal life was not too shabby either. He was in a long-term relationship with a guy named Victor Zaborski, who was a senior marketing manager for Milk Pep, uh, Milk PEP, which means uh, Milk Processors Education Program. And they were the people that came up with that Got Milk program mm-hmm. with the milk mustache. Yep. And all that. that was actually being pushed on our university campus. Yes. We were taking milk mustache pictures on campus. Yeah. And that and was in the 90s. We still have them. Yes, we do. Uh, mine was with John Elway, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, not really John Elway. Like this picture. Paper cutout. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or I remember you with John Elway. Yeah. You, I don't even you know, probably don't know who John, John Elway is. I'm like, <laughs> I know I was standing next to a paper cutout. Yes. Of, of, was it a football player? Football player. Quarterback. Okay. Now he's the GM of the Denver Broncos. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and he had a part in that whole program. So he ended up actually winning a, an award for it. Really? Yeah, like with his whole team and everything. So it's not like, you know, he was the main guy or anything. But, I mean, you, this is the example of successful people they're hanging out with. These right, right. Big shots, basically. So Joe and Victor, his partner, were fathers to two sons whom they fathered with a lesbian couple. And they seemed to be a big deal in the gay community at the time in D.C., well-known and respected. And by 2004, they brought another dude with them into the relationship. There's a threesome? Um, yeah, polyamorous. So, But it, the two are married, correct? Yes. Well, together, I don't know if they're married oh, or okay. not. Okay. I, I, I wasn't sure if yeah. you said they were married or not. Um, did I? I don't know. You said he was in a relationship. Long-term relationship. Okay. Yeah, I don't believe they were married. Got yeah, it. I could be wrong. So, so they bring in a third uh, party? Yes. So uh, his name is Dylan Ward. Um, Dylan had a sexual relationship with Joe. Okay, but not Victor? Correct. Interesting. Yep. You know, they say that threes are very hard to keep happy, like even if you're a group of girlfriends, whatever, because there's always the risk of the one being left out. Right. Human jealousy. In this case, I mean, it's especially interesting because the sexual relationship is only between two. Right. Yeah. So Joseph's kind of being left out. Joe. No, Joe. I mean, not Victor. Victor. Victor's being left out. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, whatever works. Yeah, exactly. So Dylan, a little bit different than everybody else. Um, he graduated from Georgetown, jumped between careers. Um, you know, there's times where he was like a massage therapist and other times he was a culinary student and just kind of, you know, trying to look for stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, probably normally successful by, by, you know, regular people's standards, <laughs> but, but not compared to these guys. Right. Exactly. Not a you know, five-star lawyer and all that stuff. Uh, the three of them moved into a nice $1.2 million townhome off of DuPont Circle. Well, yeah. it helps, too. They've got three incomes. Yeah, exactly. Hey, bring you on. Yeah. A little less uh, mortgage. You can cover uh, part of the electricity bill. Exactly. You got the cable. <laughs> All right. All right, Ward. Uh, Dylan Ward. So um, DuPont Circle is popular in D.C. because of the, um, according to Wikipedia, the nightclubs, bars, cafes, art galleries, and shops. There's like a nice stretch where it's owned all by um, gay people, um, so gay business owners that you know they support them, and yeah, you know, probably uh, um, yeah, just a nice little area. So just very generally, very a nice, expensive town. Yeah, if you're um, right there in the action, I would imagine. Yeah. So Joe, Victor, and Dylan describe themselves as family, and everyone kind of looked at Joe as the head of the family. Okay. Okay. So they all know Robert and Kathy well. In fact, three of them hosted Robert Wan's 30th birthday party in 2004 at okay. their house. Okay. Uh, Joe and Victor went to Wan's wedding in 2003 because obviously Joe went to college. 
sure. with Robert. And, uh, you know, since they were good friends, it makes sense they would go to their uh, their wedding a year after they met. So when Robert talked to Kathy about staying at Joe's townhouse for the night on August 2nd, 2006, it made sense and Kathy wasn't worried. Of course all. not. Yeah. Like, That'd be something you would say to me in passing. I'd be like, okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to stay at Jonesy's house. Okay, sounds yeah, good. Yeah, cool. Right. So Jonesy's my good buddy. So, um, the morning of that day, August 2nd, 2006, the Wands started their day as they normally did. They went to the gym together near their home in Oakton. They rode the bus um, together into Washington, D.C. Or, actually, it was the metro, so it probably was the train. Okay. Um, so, they said goodbye to each other with a kiss. So cute. Very right. uh, normal couple. Yep. Sounds like a lot like us. Yeah, it does. Actually, I, I, they reminded me of us. Yeah. And they headed their separate ways. They also had a cute little thing where they emailed each other as soon as they sat down at their desks. Not so they know they're safe. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So they did that and both said, hey, I'm at my desk. Have a great day. Love you. Whatever. That's sweet. Yep. So after work, Robert got himself a sandwich. Yeah, man after my own heart. Oh, you love your sandwiches. Yep. Sure do. My favorite thing in the world. Uh, any form of sandwich. So whether it's a burrito, taco, sandwich, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm you're, you're in. Yep. So he headed over to the legal seminar that I mentioned earlier. It was, um, uh, like I said, around 9.30. Um, oh, so the seminar ended around 9.30 p.m. Because then he wants to go over and meet the night crew. Exactly. So he called Kathy when he got in the cab to head back to the Radio Free Asia office to meet the night shift folks. He told her after he was done, he would get to a cab um, and go to Joe's townhouse and then go to bed. So this would be the last time Kathy would ever hear his voice. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Sad. So at 12.06 a.m., uh, Kathy got a horrible call, the one you never want to get. It was Joe Price. He said, Kathy, I can't believe I'm calling you about this. Go over to the George Washington Hospital right now. Robert has been stabbed in the back. Jesus. Yeah. Crazy, right? Poor thing. Yep. So Kathy, understandably freaking out, calls her in-laws, who just happened to have moved to the area recently from Brooklyn um, to be closer to them. Robert's younger brother was also in town. So she called him and got the whole gang together, and they all drove together to the hospital and expected to find Robert in critical condition, you know, laying there. But by the time they got there, he was dead. Oh, my God. Yeah. Horrible, horrible Going to a seminar and going to meet the night shift. You expect to come home the next day. No, your husband's dead in the hospital. Yeah. Pretty sad stuff. So they found out Robert died from stabs to his chest and stomach, unfortunately. Um, Notice anything weird about that at all? Well, you said he was stabbed in the back. Yeah. Joe called her and said he was stabbed in the back. That's the opposite side of your body. Correct. So weird right away. But then again, in chaos, you play the game of telephone. Right. Exactly what I was planning on saying. You Like, you know, you're, you're one of your good friends gets stabbed. I mean, who knows? You got stabbed. And yeah, maybe it's just a, a reaction in the back or whatever, you know. Well, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get, you know, really distressing news, I kind of shut down mentally. Yeah. So who knows? But Kathy noted this. She was like, hmm, weird. He said back. But anyways, like, whatever. My husband's dead. It, regardless, he's thinking. dead. Yeah. Yes. So unfortunately, this would be the first of many things that didn't quite make sense. Mm. This, this whole fucking thing is just weird and bizarre. Just keeps popping in my head. It just, it sucks so bad. And when a 32-year-old man is just having a normal night doing things, you want to know, well, what the hell happened? You want the story. Yeah. If you really, really want to know the story, then, I mean, we, I have a story for you. So I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. So um, uh, well, let's see here. Um, yeah. So 1149 on that night, August 2nd, 2006, a 911 call was made into the Washington, D.C. 911 dispatch. It was Victor Zaborski. 
Okay, so the third party of the trio. Yeah, so I'm going to play it for you here. Okay. D.C. Emergency 911 Operator 6752. Do you need police, fire, or ambulance? What's wrong, ma'am? We just, uh, we had someone that was in our house, evidently, and they stabbed somebody. Okay, somebody's inside the house now? I don't know. We heard... Are they bleeding? You see someone yes. bleeding? Someone is bleeding in our house. Okay, where's they bleeding from? Uh, I think he's... I think in the stomach. In the stomach? Is he cautious? Uh, Calm down for me. I'm going to send some help, okay? Female or male? It's a male. He's a friend of ours. He was spent, he was spending the night with us. Okay. And who was the person that stabbed him? Do you know? Is he, is, is he cautious? We need an ambulance. Ma'am, no, listen no, to me. he's not conscious. He's not conscious at all? No. We need someone right now. Is he breathing? Listen to me. Calm down. I'm going to help you. Okay. Is he breathing? I'm upstairs, and he's downstairs. I don't know. Okay. Who's downstairs with him? My partner is downstairs with him right now. He told me to go upstairs and call the police immediately. I just went to the stairs. And okay. Who's the person? Okay. I'm sending paramedics and the police. Okay. Who's the person that stabbed him? I don't know. We think it's somebody with an intruder in the house. We heard the chime of the door. <laughs> and it's 15, ma'am, calm down, 1509 Swan Street, Northwest, am I correct? Yes, it is. The person that says, is she still in the home? I don't know. <laughs> we got help in route, okay? Pardon me? We have help in route. Thank you. Okay. They are laying route to you now. I'm sending the police and the paramedics, okay, to assist. Okay, what I need you to do is go downstairs, okay? The place where, wherever he was stabbed at, I need you to get a dry cloth, okay? And just apply pressure to that area. If he was, wherever he was stabbed at on his body, I need you to take a towel downstairs while you're waiting for the paramedics to arrive and just apply pressure. Even if the rag or towel is saturated with blood, just get another towel and put it on top, but never lift the first towel off the area. Hold it on. Once it gets filled up with blood, just put another towel on top of that and just apply pressure until the paramedics arrive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The heart. In the heart? Yes. Okay. Is he breathing? Is he breathing? We have help him right now, okay? You don't know who it was? No idea. Don't touch, don't touch, just like Okay, is he breathing? He's breathing, but he needs help now. Okay, we have help in route, ma'am, okay? We do have help in route. Okay, just go down there and try to tell your husband or your other um, the other half to just try to keep him calm and talk to him, okay? Keep him calm and talk to him until someone gets there. Okay. And at the same time, get a dry cloth and just hold it right there in the area. My partner's holding the... Okay. It, holding it on okay. And once it gets saturated with blood, then I'm get another one. Go get another towel so you can apply it on top of that one once it gets filled up with blood. Okay. We, need, we need you to apply pressure on that area. Yeah, it's applying pressure. Okay. Just hold it there until the paramedics get there. They should be pulling up any moment if they're already en route to your location. You don't know who did this. We have no idea who did this. Is the door open so they can get in? We don't know how they got in. Okay, well, I'm asking you now. Is the door open so the paramedics can get in once they get here? What? Sorry. 
Is the door open so they can get in? Is the okay. door open so the so the paramedics can get in the home? I'm going to go down. Is this a private home or apartment? It's, it's a home. It's a home. It's 1509 Swan Street, Northwest. The person had one of our, our knives. The person that stabbed him ran out the door with a knife? I, I think so. Uh, okay, anybody get any type of description of the person that came in the home? I have no idea. We have no description. We heard we heard the chime and, and we heard the scream from our friends. Okay. And so we... Came running downstairs. We ran in. So you both was upstairs, and your friend was downstairs. Yes. You heard the door open, and then you heard the scream. We didn't. I didn't hear the door open until after the scream, and then we ran down the stairs, and we heard we are we have an alarm, and so the chime went off. Okay. Is the ambulance? We really need the ambulance. Okay. They in route. They in route now, ma'am. Go to the door. They should be pulling up any moment. Okay. I'm afraid to go down the stairs. Okay, the person who's downstairs was the person that was assaulted. No, we're in the we're on the second floor. Okay, so somebody need to go downstairs, open the door for the paramedics. You're not sure if that person's still in the home or not. I have no idea. Okay, we have paramedics in route. Okay. What time is it? What time is it at the moment? Yes. Twenty-three fifty-four. It's eleven fifty-four, ma'am. Fifty-four. Yes. I mean, I'll stay on the line with you. I will stay on the line till somebody gets here. Okay, I won't hang up. We need them right now. I'm not hanging up, but we. Need we need help now. Okay, they're in route, ma'am. They are in route. <sighs> Let me know when you hear the paramedics. Can you look out the window and see if you hear them coming? I'm, I'm looking out the window and I see nothing. I see nobody. Okay, it seems like forever, but they are in route, ma'am. They're coming. I do. Here they are. Here they are. They're there. <laughs> I'm going downstairs. Okay. I'll stand the line with you till you open the door for the paramedics, okay? Help us. We have someone with stabbed on our second floor. Ma'am. No, it's really an emergency. I mean, he maybe he's hurry. Ma'am, it's gonna be okay. Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So a couple things about this 911 call. First, it sounds like the dispatcher is calling Victor ma'am. Well, that's like the first thing. And every time she said ma'am, I was like, ooh. Cringe. Like, <laughs> Which I get it. It's easy mistake to make. You know? Sure. Um, of course. I just thought it was kind of adorable. But uh, so at one point, Victor says Robert was stabbed in the stomach and heart. So I, I went through kind of the transcript of the 911 call. You can't pick up a lot of it. But after this is like my fourth or fifth time listening to it, I can hear like everything now. Yeah. So, um, so anyways, you know, he did say Robert was stabbed in the stomach and heart. I did hear that. Okay. So you also have better ears than me, less rock concerts. So you, the nine one one dispatcher, they're, they're trained in various situations. So immediately she says, okay, put a towel, apply pressure. Do not take that towel off. 
Even if it becomes saturated, just keep putting pressure, put a fresh one on. Yep. You heard that whole part. So she's in her training, knows that any kind of stabbing to that central area is going to cause tremendous amounts of blood. Of course. So the, she's, she's advising the right thing to do, apparently, which I didn't even know that till this. But don't take the first one off. Keep on applying. And think, hopefully I'll never be in that situation. I have to worry about that. But um, So you can hear Victor directing someone to apply pressure to the wound. Yes. It and, was very quiet in the house. Yeah. yeah very good. Good, uh, good pickup there. Like it didn't sound like people were frantic and chaotic. Right. It was like almost like they were trying. Like this morning when we were brewing coffee and trying to be quiet in the house. Yeah. That's how they were talking. Right. Like, did you put cream in my coffee? Yeah. Okay. Don't want to was... wrestle the neighbors or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the fact that they don't even know if this other person's in the house that potentially stabbed him. Exactly. Like there. So there is a three floor uh, townhouse. I gathered that from what he was saying. Yep. So um, he was up on the third floor making the mm-hmm. call. Um, Robert's body was on the second floor. And, and he had then, to go down to the first to let the paramedics in. Exactly. So that was the thing, too, that it was... He did establish that he wasn't sure who did it and if they were still in the home. Yeah. But yet it seemed very... Like they weren't worried about people. N- not worried. Yeah. Just yeah. like, yeah, no, um, I, may, I might have seen somebody I did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I guess they always say that in moments of panic and chaos, you don't ever know how the person's going to react. Mm-hmm. So I know I would be good in that situation. Like, I just know it. I well, know. We know how I would be. Yeah, you'd be a mess. <laughs> Useless. <laughs> like, which it's better to be like you, very useful in all aspects of regular life and then not useful in chaotic situations. I'm very little use regular life no you're and then not. in chaotic situations i turn it up yeah so. I, I might be fine I, yeah. I don't like to think i'd be a unhelpful mess i i picture me taking the whole family on my back and like you know the plane's going down <laughs> get on dad's me. back yeah exactly. i'm on the back like, too shut up slap you in the face be like <laughs> stop it stop it <laughs> um yeah so and there's there's a bunch of thing weird things going on in this this 911 call of uh, like you said it was quiet um victor was acting like weird around whether the intruder came into the house or not, or if they saw the intruder, if they saw them with a knife, you know, at one point, I think you left with the knife. Like, it's like, but why do you say that? Yeah, you didn't see him, but you think he left with a Like, why the fuck would you say he left with the knife? Why wouldn't you think he was hiding in the study right now or yeah, whatever? Right, right. We could be down there. Like what's, what's going on here? Um, so you wouldn't say whether anyone was there or if he saw anything or, you know, it just really wasn't clear. Um, obviously if you found your dear friend stabbed, you're going to be out of sorts and not thinking clearly. So, you know, let's chalk it up to that. That's always possible. It's just really interesting how things sounded. So the paramedics got to the scene, as you heard at around 1154, about five minutes after Victor made the initial call, which is mm-hmm. super quick. It's and I like that the 911 dispatcher kept assuring him that help was on the way because in some 911 calls I hear, they're asking the person a million questions, but not establishing while we're talking, is help coming? Right. So that always gets interrupted. Like, I need help. Please send help. Please send help. And they're like, she kept reinforcing while we're talking, paramedics and police are on the way. Yeah, she did an awesome job. She was wonderful. Like great dispatcher. Um, but yeah, so anyways, when, uh, when the paramedics finally came, Victor was out on the porch in a white terry cloth bathrobe when he saw the paramedics. Okay. So rushed out there like, oh my gosh, you know, come in. You heard him crying and everything. Um, the two paramedics that showed up between them had 25 years of experience. Oh, wow. So their experience knew what to expect. Like, you know, there was, there were good people for the job. They said, 
um, the first thing they realized when they stepped into the house, things were off. Hmm. So just like you said, like it was, you're really good at picking up on stuff. Well, thank you. My biggest thing was, you know, I'm not saying how Victor presented the information or anything like that. It was more about the quietness of the house that got me. Yeah. They said, usually when they arrive to a scene of a stabbing, people are going haywire. Screaming. Yeah. Like, please help us, help us. Like, just, I don't know what happened. Like, blabbering and yelling and pulling them towards the, the, the victim. Sure. And saying, you know, just try and give details and, you know, get people coming at them from different directions and whatever. They got here, it was like a library, basically. I was actually going to say that, a library. Yeah. Like, besides um, Victor, everybody, everything was totally fine, like normal, like a normal day going on in this house. I don't know who was applying the pressure and at Robert's side, because obviously there was both Joseph and, um, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Dylan. Dylan. Mm-hmm. Dylan, where I or assume... His last name is Dylan. Um, let me find it here. I don't think his last name is Dylan. I think his first name is Dylan. Uh, oh yeah, you're right, Dylan Ward. Yeah. Um. So I assume both Dylan and um, Vic- Joseph were at Robert's side um, during this. Joseph. Okay, so just Joseph. We yep. don't know where Dylan is. Right. Okay. So um, I'm just surprised at how quiet Joseph was, but maybe you know he's focused and just trying to apply the pressure. I don't know. Yep. Nope. So Joe's the guy next to him, um, taking care of things. And yeah, you're right. It's completely odd. I'm curious to know what the paramedics saw when they got to the second floor and Robert was on the ground. Yep. So as the paramedics made their way up to the stairs to get to the victim, they found Dylan Ward Mm. coming out of a hallway bathroom on the second floor. Dylan was there. Yes. Okay. He was there. Maybe he Uh, had to take a quick pee. Yeah, maybe. Sure. Yeah, that's what it was. He was like, well, you know, before the paramedics get here, let me drain the lizard lizard and uh, go about my day. But uh, he actually, he came out of the shower and was wearing a robe. The shower. Yes. He's showering while there's a man stabbed on his floor. Yeah. Interesting time to take a shower. And what are you showering off your body? Mm Mm-hmm. That's, that is glaring. Yeah. Nobody, unless he was in the shower when it happened. Right. Which makes it sure. And that's possible. Yeah. yeah, They're just gathering all the information they can at this point. Now, if he got in the shower after Robert was stabbed, that's fucking weird. Yeah, so the paramedics questioned him about, hey, what, what's going on here? Everything's okay? Like, just, hey, what happened? What happened? Tell us. And so he ignores them, goes into his bedroom, and shuts the door. What? The, that's... <laughs> no. Fucked up, right? So this is creepy movie stare, movie like type of stuff. Can like, you imagine what the paramedics are thinking? Well, I imagine him looking at them kind of like head to the side a little bit and like smiling like hmm. and then just like wouldn't you like to know <laughs> and then goes into his room and scatters now are paramedics trained to gather this information for police i'm sure after years like maybe not specifically I'm, i mean yeah i'm sure they are a little bit because they're the first ones on the scene before the police so yeah, yeah anything they can get you know and gather and they work hand in hand with police so especially these guys have been there you know through 25 years they know what the police are looking for Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, okay. So um, while it's not their job, they know what the police will yeah, be asking. Yeah, but just taking advantage of being the first on the scene and seeing what they saw. Correct. So the paramedics went down the hall to the guest room where they found 32-year-old Robert Juan lying on a pull-out sofa bed that was probably made for him to spend the night sure. on. Sure. Um, the thing is, nobody was holding a towel to his wounds to stop the bleeding. Okay, well, that in itself is... But again, if these guys did this, why aren't they trying to act more like normal pretend to hold the towel well i yeah right well i guess at this point they'd be like well it probably would have stopped bleeding by now so the 911 (laughs) dispatcher reinforced that point about seven times yeah right um 
the, you know, just it's another weird thing. Pretty much everything that I'm going to say is weird and off. Everything. Absolutely everything. So, like you said, this is after they said apply pressure to the wound and he's been stabbed and they're just sitting there kind of like, hmm, yeah. Oh, well, so welcome. I wonder what Joseph was. Joseph just standing there. Joe was in the room with Robert. And when the paramedics asked him what happened, Joe replied only that he heard a scream. He didn't even look at him. He just goes, I heard a scream. And is just kind of looking off into space. So he's sitting next to Robert, his body. Uh, The paramedics later noted they were so creeped out by the scene that they looked at Joe to see if they could find the murder weapon in his hand. Right. Like it looked like he basically just killed him and was sitting there staring at him. Like they're assuming this is the guy. Correct. Who knows what Mr. Showerman is doing. Yeah. So around them, I mean, they're in danger, basically. Well, that's what I'm thinking, too. Are they in fear that they're going to get stabbed? Absolutely. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, talk about a dangerous job. Right. That's, yeah. you're in this. Where are the police en route? They're still uh, coming. They're very, very close. Okay, because that's all I'm thinking in my head is these paramedics are like, get here. Yeah, so they, they made sure as they tended to Robert that they could see Joe. Yeah, watch him. Yeah, so they, they positioned themselves in a certain Smart. way. Away from him, not with their back towards him, you know, just kind of looking and, you know, to keep an eye on him in case he did anything crazy. Yeah. So Robert was lying there with his head on the pillow and his hands down at his sides, still with his anti-grinding mouth guard in that he used uh, at night so he in was mouth. in bed ready to sleep if yeah. not sleeping i mean looking like yeah he's sleeping yeah i'm basically sleeping um he was wearing a gray william and mary t-shirt and was stabbed three times in the front of his torso through his shirt one of the paramedics described the heart wound as gaping oh so big that you could put a finger into it oh my god so pretty bad they also found what they presumed to be the murder weapon on the bedside table with a smearing of blood on the blade. We assumed that the guy left because that's what Victor, <laughs> yeah, Victor said. Exactly. So now it's like, wait, you saw him leave? He left with the knife? Now you're probably like, I'm thinking, wait, they're probably on the phone and be like, no, you didn't leave with the knife. The knife's here or something, you know, and then right. you hear him get all agitated or something like that. And then Dylan's like, I'm going to take a shower. <laughs> You've had enough of this. I'm going in the shower. You've upset me. I'm going to put on my terry cloth robe. Um, and then not speak to the paramedics when they come in. Yes, I'll show them. So, yeah, they got the knife sitting there, and the, the blood's on the blade. Like, mm-hmm. not necessarily on the cutting part, but on the blade. On the blade itself, not yeah. the whole th- shaft. Yeah, not the, the cutting knife. edge. Yeah. Not the blade, you said. Yeah, so on the, so like if you take a knife and kind of turn it to the side, uh-huh. so the, the flat side's facing you, it was on the flat side. Okay, interesting. But not on the cutting side. Weird. Yeah, yeah. Like it was wiped. Yeah, exactly. Wow, you're good. I'm like a detective. You are, you are. So they Nancy check- friggin drew. That's how I think of you, especially in the bedroom. You're looking for something. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to take a drink of my damn cough. Sorry. So they checked Robert's vitals and he had no pulse. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, they knew he'd been dead for a while. For a while. Yeah. Well, what's the point of holding a towel to somebody whose heart's not pumping? Right. They're like, oh, no, he's not bleeding. We don't see any blood coming out. Yeah, mm. totally fine. Uh, well, and... In the scene, what they're describing, there's a chime, there's a scream. That person's not dead for a while. Right. That no. person expired while you were on the phone. That's That would be what happened if you're hearing a scream. Robert is the one that screamed, correct? Right. You would think. Right. Who screamed? I don't know. You heard the chime. If yep. there's an intruder, the chime is corresponding they with said, their in and out. They said it was like a low-level scream. Like a, uh, like not like, ah, it was more like, uh. Hmm. So things aren't adding up here. Yep, not at all. And it just gets worse. So the EKG flatlined. Obviously, they took him to the hospital where he was officially pronounced dead <sighs> at 1225 a.m. Uh, so Robert Wan 
had come over to the townhouse that night at 10.30 p.m. Okay, so really, and the 911 call was placed at, what, 11.45? Yeah. And what time did you say he came? 10? 10... 10.30. So he had only been there a little over an hour. And by 12.25 a.m., he was dead. He's pronounced dead yes. at the hospital. Yeah, exactly. So t- between 10.30 and 12.25, you know, certain things happened. Yes. And they're going to try to fill in this timeline. Um, there weren't a lot of answers at this point, but there were a hell of a lot more questions. Yeah. Where were you in the house when he came over? What did he do? He clearly got ready for bed. His mouth guard was in. He was in sleeping clothes. Correct. So obviously they're going to you know, question these three guys that were in this house. This is their primary objective. Yes. Be like, what the hell happened? Get them separated. Get their stories. You know, Try to figure out where the cracks are. Yes. Okay. And hope they give different versions to catch them. Right. And being you know, trained, you usually try to get that. Yeah, of course. Uh, so police arrived on the scene before Robert's body was taken to the hospital. They noted that the guest room was neat and tidy and no signs of any kind of struggle. Uh-huh. Well, if, he could have been sleeping when this happened. Well, even if he was sleeping, you would be stabbed and be like, what the fuck? Like, shift, you know? Yeah, you Some would kind shift. of a, uh, like, move your head, you know, just imagine being stabbed in the I chest. I guess it's really hard to say if you're, like, in a sleep and you're well, confused. And for a person to stab you three times, it'd have to be over you and, like, you know, ruffling up the bed. Like, this, the pillow was perfect. Yeah, perfect. that doesn't make sense. Like, it was laid down, like, Snow White kind of thing. Uh-huh. Like, you know, Undisturbed. That's, correct. That's the scene, basically. So, there... Like, it didn't happen in this bed, basically. So, or maybe you're assuming it did. I don't know. he was potentially placed in the bed after having been stabbed. Is there blood all over the bed? No. Yeah. So, uh, there's 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 some other details coming But then out. again, the blood would have to be somewhere in the apartment showing that he'd been moved. Yeah, it would. So, <laughs> so you're, you're exactly right. Uh, nothing was knocked over. No signs of a struggle. Nothing. Uh, Robert's clothes were folded at the foot of his bed waiting for him to slide them on the next morning. I love Robert. Yeah, he's, he's kind of seems similar to you. Yeah, it's very tidy. <laughs> organized. Organized. Yeah. Poor man. Yeah. Um, there was Robert's Blackberry. So at the time, the Blackberry was a big deal uh-huh. you know, for business people. And his Movado watch. Aww. Nice Movado watch. So this told the police that if whatever person was trying to rob him, they did a horrible job. They didn't take anything. Right. Um, there was basically tried to kill him and leave. Well, and also, you know... I don't know. This whole thing just doesn't make sense. Granted, it could have been a random burglary in the night, and they don't know that this is a guest room or whatever, but they didn't take anything. Yeah. Um, Robert's pillow only had one indentation. Like, he just put his head down and hadn't moved all night, like I said. I mean, it's just odd to me. Like, some kind of thrashing. Something. Some kind of struggle. Unless they stabbed him straight in the heart, and he just basically, like... But even then, your your body would be alive for a couple seconds. You'd be like, yeah, big, you know, something. Yeah. Some kind of crazy thing. Um, There was, like I said, a light blood smear. Um, Oh, no, this is different. So there was a light blood smear almost wiped across the skin of his abdomen, kind of like on purpose. Uh Like somebody meant to put it there to be, be found. Besides that, Robert had no blood on his body. Which makes no sense. You would think blood would be spewing and saturating his shirt. You're exactly his, right. His Mary College or Joe, William and Mary College shirt would be saturated. Right. Exactly. From experience, please know they'd have a bloodbath, basically. Like, so I mean, is you, his shirt completely soaked and drenched in blood? No, no. What the fuck? Right. So, you know, after being stabbed twice in the stomach and once in the chest, you, you know, that thing would be saturated. There'd be blood all over the bed. It'd be onto the floor, you know, it, yeah. this, unless they were bl- blotting it, which there was no evidence that they did. Now, 
the t-shirt he's wearing does it have the stab marks in it to correspond with where he was stabbed yes weird yeah yep exactly where he was stabbed and it's not i'd love to see a picture of this t-shirt yeah i didn't see one i mean i would think the front of it would just be soaked yep um another point like i mentioned there's almost no blood on the bed either it doesn't make sense so the sheet was folded down like how you know you at a hotel where they do nighttime service sure kind of ready for him ready to get in yep um robert was close to completely clean police noted it looked like robert had been showered redressed and placed in the bed that's that's what i don't get yeah crazy so police confirmed the knife on the bedside table came from a knife block in the kitchen okay um but they didn't think it was the murder weapon and i'll tell you why the first the blade was a lot longer than what the entries wounds in Robert's chest were telling them. Hmm. So it was a five and a half inch Wooshtoff blade. Wooshtoff's a good, good uh, knife. knife company. Yeah. Um, the wounds were about four inches. Okay. So while it's possible that everyone, you know, as they stabbed them, they kind of just held back an inch right. of, the, of the knife. In all their experience, anytime somebody's stabbed multiple times, the whole knife goes in and usually, so they're expecting at least five and a half inches of, of plunges on sure. at least one of the stabs, you know, right? most of the stabs, but they don't have that. So okay. what in the hell is this knife doing sitting at the bedside? Right. So, I mean, you have to think they look for a similar size knife and put it there, mm-hmm. you know. Also, no blood on the cutting edge of the knife. Which doesn't make sense because that would be the area that would have the blood. Yep. And none of the t-shirts on the knife t-shirt fibers on the knife well and that's just the thing the t-shirt would have to be saturated so it almost tells me that he was stabbed and then placed in this shirt right um but the the wounds are exactly where right the shirt is. That's, so that's he was in the shirt when he got stabbed that does, it was he was already dead then maybe because then the blood wouldn't be pumping right um and unless something happened before that maybe i don't know you'll have to tell me because mm-hmm so um, they had a, a, a blood splatter person look over the knife uh, and everything. And yeah, so they're, they're, the only fibers found on the knife were a white kind of fiber. That they maybe to used towel. to wipe. Yep, similar to a towel. Uh, pretty, pretty clear this wasn't the knife used to stab him. Okay. Um, what was really interesting, though, after tearing apart the whole place a couple weeks after the incident, police found a cutlery set in Dylan Ward's room. And he was a former culinary student, like mm-hmm. I mentioned. Um, but it was missing one knife. Was it four and a half inches? I was going to say. Any idea how long the knife was? Yeah. Four and a half inch knife. Uh, he had like a set of three knives. It was like um, a knife, a serving spoon, and something else. Like it was it was pretty specific. And a four and a half inch knife from that set was gone. And they never found that knife. Hmm. Ever. So that was that, that was a big piece of evidence oh, that could have really 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 move things around i mean, all they need is a tiny little piece of that dna on there and right. then they got them right but knife is gone knife is gone police also found a white towel on the floor by the bed and the towel had three blood stains on it the three men said they used that towel to put pressure on robert's wounds so uh the stains only measured about two and a half by three inches well and like the lady on the phone said if it's saturated just place a clean one atop it like you would assume it's going to be saturated oh no there's just a couple of blood spots right so the blood splatter analysis um uh, analyst person looked at this and he was like there's no way this was used for a wound like no no, no possible way he said um he looked he actually said it looked like as if someone took the knife with blood on it put it on the towel Squeeze both sides and wipe the blade clean. Yeah. So that's that's exactly what it looked like to mm-hmm. him. Um, it wasn't, in his opinion, even close to being used to stop someone's bleeding. And that would show, too, that the knife had the towel fibers on it. Mm-hmm. 
That's exactly what it did. They put it under a microscope. It had the towel fibers, mm-hmm. but not the gray William and Mary. Not t-shirt. the t-shirt. Yep. Uh, none of it made sense. The stories they got from Ward, Price, and Zaborski did not match anything that they found on the scene. It was like, no, no, this is impossible. What you're telling me is impossible. Right. So now where are we at? Mm-hmm. So what did happen? Yes. They took them all to the police station to be interviewed separately. They all had the same story. So they had time to match their stories. And, mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. They grilled these guys for 8 to 12 hours. And here's the story they gave them. Okay. So Robert Wan came over to the Price Zaborski Ward home around 1030 via taxi. At the time, Victor Zaborski had just returned home from a business trip, and he was already upstairs in bed watching Project Runway. Mm. Mm-hmm. So Ward and Price said they stood in the kitchen with Juan, drank some water, and chatted for a few minutes before they showered, or before they showed Juan to his guest room. Okay. Not showering right just yet. Um, Price said when he went to the third floor master bedroom that he shared with Zaborski, um, he was ready for bed, and they just went to bed. Ward. So uh, Joseph and Victor are on the third floor, get like basically going to bed. Yep. Okay. Going to bed for the night. Ward said he went to his bedroom on the second floor shortly after Price left them and went to bed as well. Uh, he read for about five minutes and then took a sleeping pill and went to bed. But yet he's found coming out of the shower when the paramedics are coming. Right. So maybe he said because of the sleeping pill that that's... He needed to wake up. Yeah. Or he didn't even know where he was. Like that's a really easy thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure if he's trying to think of ways around it, be like, I just tell him it. I don't know because I took the Ambien and I was sleeping. I was a zombie. I I was a zombie. I don't remember any of this. Yeah, Yeah. easy. Yes, super easy. Uh, He said he heard Juan take a shower in the hallway bathroom and then he heard the guest room door close and latch. Okay. So he's like, yep, I heard it. You know, so they've got Juan in his room, basically. Mm -hmm. After everyone went to sleep, Price and Zaborski said they were woken up by the sound of a door chime. So, obviously, you know, if you've ever been in a house with a security system, people open the door, ding, ding, or mm-hmm. ching, ching, chung, you know, the whatever chime, whatever chime, chime it, it is. makes. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever chime. You're, you're used to those. <laughs> I like that you just keep trying chime, to give us chung. a chime. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do like a bring, like that. That's okay. a, yeah, that's the one. So, I was we heard for. a bring. I was, it, I wanted to get it out of my head. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for letting me. So, that's, that's what I pictured. Uh, they told police they weren't concerned because they figured it was just their fourth roommate, Sarah. Returning home for the night. Oh, there's a fourth room. I was like, what the fuck? Who the hell like, Sarah? Nobody talks about this chick. So I don't, like, she must have been in and out. Like, I, I looked into her a little bit, but I was so into the other side of the yeah. story. And she, who knows? Maybe she just was renting some random fifth room in this multi-million dollar townhouse. Well, multi-million in D.C. isn't very big. Yeah, so who knows? So, yeah. So then they heard some low grunts or screams. So low grunts or screams. And Price and Zaborski said they jumped out of bed ran down to the second floor where they found Juan's guest room door open and him lying on the bed bleeding from stab wounds. But not bleeding much, though, because his shirt wasn't saturated. Right. Hey, they can't control it. They didn't stab him. They just found him stabbed. They also didn't put pressure on it. Yeah, yeah. They Well, apparently they did. So There yeah. were two spots on a towel. Yeah, so they did it. They, they soaked it up. Um, they said neither of them heard another door chime or heard anything, any anything or anyone running down the stairs. Okay, so all is pretty quiet. Except for the things you just described. Yep. Price told Zaborski to go upstairs to dial 911, and he knelt beside Juan and tried to stop the bleeding while Zaborski went to call 911. He told police he found the murder weapon lying on Juan's stomach and picked it up and placed it on the side table. Okay, the one that's been wiped. Yeah. Almost like, okay, let's go. And the one that didn't match the stab wounds. Yeah. Let's go stamp his stomach here and then put it next to him, Mm -hmm. basically. Oddly, Price told police they might find his DNA on the knife because he moved it. 
they're like, hey, just so you know, like you probably see my DNA somewhere, um, but you might not find this real killer's DNA because he probably used gloves. Oh. So, okay, that's an instant red flag. You know, anytime you're lying, you give too many details. Exactly. And that's too many details. It's like, you're what? Like, police know to look for these things, buddy. Like, of course. Okay. And obviously you can, yeah, whatever. Maybe he just slipped. I, who knows? But uh, right there, it's a lot of unnecessary detail. Um, so good chance something's up here. I mean, good chance this whole thing, something's up, basically. Price told police he didn't see Ward until after he had sent Zaborski upstairs to call 911. Okay, so Victor since ran upstairs, and now he's seeing Dylan. Yes, correct. Zaborski's story supported this by Zaborski saying he didn't see Ward when they initially found Robert, but that he had to come out of his bedroom by the time he came back downstairs on the phone with 911. Okay. So the story when there matched. was low murmurs in the room, yeah, a grunt and a scream. Well, no, when he came on the phone, oh, you know, right. when he was on the phone with yeah. the nine one one caller, right. and there was just like low murmuring, yes, no panic at all in the room. Put some pressure, okay, oh good, like it's like a little cut or something, yeah. like okay. Uh, all three men agreed that an intruder must have come into the house and murdered Juan. And suggested the stabber might have climbed over the security fence behind the house and entered through the back door. Okay. Yep. So investigators doubted this theory. For one. They checked out the fence in the back, and the area wasn't really disturbed. There were cobwebs there, dust. Like, anybody that would have gone through the whole thing would have... Broken this up. Yeah, knocked down the cobwebs. You'd see some kind of a footprint or something on the dust. Like, nobody jumped that fence, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, nothing was taken from the house, and they had some really expensive electronic equipment. Right, and that's just the thing. Oh, okay. They walked in the house. They just stabbed this guy in here and just walked out. Right. So, that's another thing. Third thing, this is really interesting. The intruder would have had to purposely go past Dylan Ward's room on the second floor. Because you go to the second floor, you see his room first. Right. So why would he bypass that room and go to Richard's room? Head straight down to the guest room. I mean, Robert. Robert. Robert, I'm so sorry. It's okay. So he had to go past Dylan's room and be like, I know Robert's in this guest room. Uh I know he's staying there. I'm going to go kill him. And that's not normal because he's not normally in this guest room. Nobody's usually in there. No. So meaning... Like, he had to know he was there, and the only people that knew Juan was in the house that night was Kathy, um, Price, Zaborski, and Ward. Okay, not even this Lisa chick. Right. Had no idea. All right, so police brought in cadaver dogs trained to locate evidence of blood and decaying decaying flesh. Okay. Um, Other than the small amount of blood on Robert's bed, the other traces of blood were located in the dryer lint trap on the second floor. Okay, so something was washed and dried. Yep, next to Dylan Ward's room. And then near an outside drain on the back patio. Okay. So... Would that be associated with the washing machine? uh, No. Or the shower, even? It'd be somebody, like, washing their hands, basically. Okay, gotcha. Yep, so maybe someone washed the blood off of themselves on the patio and then dried their clothes on the second floor. Okay. So there was some cleaning going on. Uh Uh-huh, well, and Dylan was cleaning himself. Yep. Um... And also, they have this this chemical where you can kind of spray and find little trace pieces of, like, blood. Luminol? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so, you probably know all about it. So, um, unfortunately, they applied the stuff, like, incorrectly and, like, mm. way too much of it and Shoot. didn't follow the directions. So, they pretty much ruined the scene. Because so there was obviously a lot of blood somewhere. in Probably in that room is what they're guessing. Like, and they said it was cleaned, like very, very clean. But they didn't have much time. Right. Because, you know, in total, he wasn't there very long. Right. Like, you picture like a Dexter murder scene where, you know, he hangs up all these things and whatever. I Who the fuck knows, like, what really it was. But the timeline doesn't make sense. No, but the, also what I don't get is where is the blood, though? 
other than this towel that's got a couple spots, where is the blood? Right. Yeah. So we'll we'll get into some some ideas. Um, according to a quote from the official documents, by all accounts, quote by all accounts and evidence, Price Zaborski and Ward have a very close relationship and clearly have the motive to preserve and protect the interests of one another. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're partners. They're living together. They want to protect each other. Basically, saying these fuckers are lying. To protect somebody, if not all of each them. Each other, yeah. And they're very strong in their relationship. Uh-huh. And well, they're not cracking. Yeah. Now, I don't want to be the one to accuse, but I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know how far you can go in a podcast to say things. I mean, these people are alive and, and well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's if somebody's going to hop in a car and come. Oh, I'm not worried about to... that. I'm worried about like lawsuits or something. Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. So yeah. that's basically what the police are saying, right? Mm-hmm. Allegedly, all this stuff. Okay, so each of these men gave police information about their relationship to each other and the living situation within 1509 Swan Street. Zaborski told investigators that he and Price had been in a committed relationship for many years and that they brought Dylan into the relationship about four years late, uh, earlier. Dylan was in a sexual relationship with Joe Price, but not with Zaborski. Like yeah, I and obviously he has his own room. The other two are sharing the room. Yeah. So they're like the tr- like kind of the main couple and then... Uh, Dylan is the the side guy. Yeah, he'll come in once in a while and yeah. do his stuff. Uh, this this got a lot of media attention for good reason. Um, police found various items related to BDSM sex play in Dylan's room. Okay, so he which got, there's nothing wrong with that. No, he got into some kinky, kinky sex stuff, which is probably what Joe was looking for, and you know mm-hmm. whatever, uh, including shackles, gags, restraints, and a host of other toys. The men explained that Dylan and Joe were in a dominant, submissive sexual relationship, in okay. which Dylan was the dominant, or dom, mm-hmm. and Joe was a submissive. Got it. So um, this, as you can imagine, in 2006, like, where the gay lifestyle isn't completely accepted. Like, I mean, things have changed quite a bit. I mean, not even now, there's still a struggle. But like, like you mentioned, are they are they married? I think it was just a domestic partnership. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was allowed to be married. Okay. So. Um, the news like just love this. They ate it up right away, and everybody's like, "Oh man, they had some you know kinky gay sex." Ring. And who even gives a shit what's going on with them as a relationship? Like the biggest thing here is what the hell happened with Robert. Well, that's where a lot of people are trying to say, "Did Robert have a part in this relationship?" Yeah, you know, right. But, Robert is a guest for the night. Right. Right. And like it's a like, pla- it's a place to sleep. Like, can you not come over to somebody's house and spend the night and not get into a sick, kinky sex thing? That's ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, who knows? I it just it doesn't sound like that. Robert sounds like he's happily married to Kathy and needed a place to stay after his conference and checking out the the night crew at the job. And police went really deep into Robert's like sexuality and stuff. Uh-huh. Everybody, even these three guys were like, "No, we didn't like it wasn't like that. He was as straight as the day is long." Yeah. You know, there was that that was said. Like he is he was a great husband, you know, he was straight he was not into our relationship we had no interest in him i was not in a loving sexual relationship with him at all and it's just the it's just a random night that he was spending the night there like it's not that he was there frequently well police went into the gay community too to see if they can get somebody to crack about like robert Wan. like who were you you, with did you see him around yeah at a a gay club or something uh nothing they got nothing so robert by all accounts was not here for a sexual thing. He was there for a bed to sleep in, which it looked like he was ready to do with his mouth guard in. Right. Yeah. 
You think of that poor guy. Like, I know he was ready for friggin' sleep, and then yeah. the next day he was going to go back home and be with his wife. Like the another thing, like you just think of all the good things he could have done. Absolutely, a yeah. good person in the world. Yeah, that's going to sleep in someone's house for the night and is friggin' stabbed. Right. He he had like bigger aspirations. You know, he wanted to get information to the people that didn't have it. Like, yeah. I didn't know him, you know, but he just sounded like a decent dude. I saw his picture too, and he looks, looks exactly sweet. like he sounds. Yeah, just exactly. Like a good guy. Yep. So this is also fucking crazy. I didn't even know this existed, but they found a device commonly referred to as a milking machine designed to be placed on a man's penis and force him to ejaculate. Huh. Via, never heard. I think of a breast pump. Yeah. Like uh, via electrodes or something. Interesting. So it's electrode like pads you put on there? I don't know. I didn't look it up. I don't want that in my Google history. I in just case pictured I come up like dead. the breast pump going like and like pulling the penis into it. That's pretty much what it is. But in it, with electricity to kind of stimulate things to, hmm. to make you shoot your your load. Interesting. Yeah. So I ordered one just for us. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Not sure. I'm not sure why. Next week we'll report back. Okay. And we'll let you know. Uh, this became significant to the police's theory about what happened. Okay. About because I'm about to tell you another yeah. twist here. So it this it's so interesting and so horrible. It. It defies logic. Like, there's no logic here. The thing is just so fucked up, okay? So after the autopsy of Robert Wan's body came back, you'll, you'll hear, so that's, that's where I'm going into now. Um, so Dr. Lois Goslanowski, uh, Goslanowski, I don't know how to say her last name, but Dr. Lois, autopsied Rod, Robert Wan's body the day after he was stabbed on August 3rd. She found three symmetrical stab wounds in Robert's torso and found a broken blood vessel in his eye, indicating that he had been smothered in addition to being stabbed. Okay. So, um, she determined. Maybe that's why he was so still. Yeah. Uh, but still, if you're smothered, you're going to be fighting. Shaking. Yeah. That's stupid of me to say. No, it's not. I, th- I thought the exact same thing. I went through the exact same process. I was like, oh, yeah, he just got suffocated. I'm like, well, but you, he's going to fight. Yeah. You would have more on your pillow than one little thing. Yeah. You know? Unless there were three men involved in holding him down. And then there'd be a struggle in the room. Yeah. Like, there'd be signs of something. Some, something. Like, you know, skin or whatever. I don't know. And, and the bed would be tossed. Eh? Sure, Who knows? of course. Not just peacefully turned down with a flat pillow. Yep. She determined all the stab wounds had been made with the same roughly four and a half inch blade. And, you know, she didn't know anything about the scene. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the wound was between four and five inches deep. So, if it effectively removed the possibility that the knife found at the scene was the murder weapon. Okay. So, through expert analysis, every expert would agree this was not the that knife. That was not the weapon. At, at but all. we have a missing knife that does match that in Dylan's room. Correct. In addition to the knife wounds, the doctor found several other strange things in Robert's body. She noticed several needle marks on his neck, um, right foot, and left hand. They, Obviously, they did a toxicology report. Yes. Um, but I found out toxicology reports are so hard because they're not like a one-size-fits-all. You have to specifically test for every drug that you go for one would assume he would have been injected with something that sedated him yes but you have to check every sedative mm-hmm. so and you only have so much blood you can't use all of his blood right so i read about that and i looked into that too there's an awesome article on the washington post that goes into a lot of stuff um it's it's like from the old web almost it's like from the 1990s it looks like even though it's 2006 like it washington post still has it out there i, I definitely i have it in my sources i recommend reading it but he has multiple injection site marks correct so um she ran it like i said a routine drug scan all of which came back negative 
and she they did mention like did you test for this she's like we could only test for it's not like a thing that can go on forever right like, we have to make our best guess you're basically picking numbers out of a hat and testing those things she tested for like ghb you know liquid g and all these other things possibilities that normally is what well it is. that's the thing you have to pick like the typical culprits correct and then, you know, they had to put his body in, you know, I, I think, I think he went to ashes. Um, they said it wasn't available or whatever. So, um, but yeah, everything came back negative. Unfortunately, she did not test for any paralytic agents and none of Robert Wan's blood was preserved prior to his, mm-hmm. uh, or after his burial. Yeah. Prior to his burial. Oh, so he was buried. So none of it was preserved for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't know. So, it, but you know, looking into it, it didn't sound like either they they covered their tracks or it didn't sound like they did anything bad. Like okay. it was like or or not bad, but just you know forgetful. Right. Like they seemed to do everything they could have uh-huh. to try to identify it. Um, there was no indication Robert put up any kind of struggle in the autopsy. Any and all defensive wounds were completely absent from his arms. So. Hence the reason why it would make sense if he was injected with like a paralytic or something. Yep, something to slow down his blood, something to just kind of put him out completely. Um, what's that uh, thing that Michael Jackson died from? Propofol. Propofol. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, might be. I don't even know how any of these drugs work, so I'm um, not an expert. Propofol is a sedative, um, but where in the hell would a person just obtain propofol? You know, it's these guys are you know high power DC. There's freaking yeah, that's drugs. true. You slip a little bit of money to someone and they i'm you know any community that you're in, in a community there you know all the good people you also know all the bad people yeah that are not necessarily bad but maybe they're very rich and they get into all sorts of crazy drugs you know that's out there yeah you know, but guaranteed if they wanted cocaine they could find it within 30 seconds mm-hmm. like cocaine is no big deal but i mean even you know you go well, down, you go cocaine down that, is child's play to compare to like some sort of correct you know, but those contacts have contacts for sure. other things. I get it. You know, and in the gay community, it was, you know, a lot of going out and having fun and, you know, clubs and things of that nature. And, and, you know, I'm sure they had some good contacts, right? So who knows? Who knows? Um, she also performed this one. This is, this is the big thing. She performed a rape kit on his body, swabbing his anus, the inside of his penis, his rectum and his mouth. The you le- said anus and then you said rectum. Well, I like the outside, I guess. Oh, okay. And then the inside. Okay, I'm picturing the same area. I'll bring up like a, a picture of a no, body. No, I know how the the body works. Okay, so the lab... You were being a little redundant there. Sorry, I just <laughs> kind of took exactly... I, I agree with you. The lab found semen present in each cavity. <gasps> oh, my God. But strangely, so there was, there was some semen in, in every place they checked, but all of the DNA belonged to Robert Wan. What? Everything they found in his anus and penis was his own semen. Well, I mean, how does his own semen go into his anus? Great question. So that's why that milking device. Oh, yes. So this milking device is made almost like in a, from what I gather, I could be wrong, but they said it's specifically made for like getting someone almost paralyzed or you know, if they're if they're completely unable to ejaculate, you put it on them and it'll make them ejaculate. For whatever reason, why you would whatever want you're to do into, that. yeah, whatever you're into, this is this device was made for that. So, um, th- then you know, maybe the the semen was taken and rubbed or but whatever. Why though? I don't know. No, we don't know. Unfortunately, I there's no like they won't talk. So, but and everything happened so fast. Yes. I mean, he wasn't there for a long time. No, how do you have time? Like none of like, this makes Oh, sense. hey Robert, you're here. Okay, good. Let's knock let's, you out here. Let's get this milking device hooked up to you. Oh, let's take your semen and put it in your anus. Like 
it just sounds like a lot happened in a very short period of time. Agreed. Agreed. Um, based on the doctor's findings and limited evidence collected at the scene, police think that Robert Juan was attacked, incapacitated with some sort of paralytic agent. Mm-hmm. Hence the injection sites. Yep. Sexually assaulted. Jesus. And stabbed to death on the night of August 2nd. And then, you know, you think to yourself, like, you're making this huge murder scene in your own home. How do you expect this to end? Yeah. <laughs> and especially in their community, they would have had many of willing people to, like, I'm sure get involved in any kind of weird stuff. Like, what would be the point of killing this man? Yeah. There's That's no reason. That's what I don't get. Like, they're not getting anything out of it. Yeah. And, you know, this is what police are thinking, too. Like, what? what is the motive? Yeah. What's, what's the motive? And what did you expect the end game to be? Yeah. And you're friends with these people. So something had to have, you know, it probably wasn't planned to kill him, I would imagine. Yeah, obviously. So something. But a lot happened. So it's like it was almost planned in a sense of like what was going to happen when. It's not like, oh, go quick, let's inject him real quick and then hook up this milking device. And then, you know, it's like it almost had to be like like previously planned so that they knew what they were going to do. By the killer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they didn't have to call right then and there. They called shortly after. To have the paralytic agent on hand, like it was probably, you know, yeah, you're right. It's Exactly. Unless that's something that I don't know if it's used in kinky situations, like I'll paralyze you and then hook this. And maybe that's what the milking device is used for because if you're paralyzed, you can't get off. I don't know. Yes, exactly. Like you can't get an erection and like, is this paralytic something that they used in their bag of like kinky tricks? I'm sure. Like maybe you like when you tie somebody up or something, you can hook them up to this thing and it'll milk them. I don't know. Um, Well, but like I said, we'll find out next Mm week when we get one. Wow. I was like, wait, what? What's happening next week? (laughs) So um, there is one thing that kind of made it a little bit worse, a little bit harder, even harder in the timeline. The police found a gap in the timeline. A neighbor heard a scream come from the house while they were watching the nightly news. They couldn't pinpoint the exact time, but the news was on from 11 to 1130. So Zaborski didn't place the 911 call until 1149, meaning there's at least a 19-minute gap between when they discovered the body and when they called the police. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking, that there had to have been a gap. Because mm-hmm. a lot went on. Right, right. The problem was police had no concrete evidence to point to who actually committed the crime. And Price, Zaborski, and Ward were no longer cooperating with investigators. They lawyered up, and they were not talking anymore. Can you imagine what Kathy must be going through? Like, not only was her husband murdered, but these three clearly have something shady going on. That is a really good segue. So now we're going to talk about Kathy here. Okay. The day after the murder, Price, Zaborski, and Ward, all good friends of Kathy and Roberts, uh, went to Kathy's, Kathy Wan's house to pay their respects to their friend's widow. So they're like, I'm so sorry, you know, whatever. They're there to kind of be friends together and, you know, be with your friends in the time of need. They all grieve together. Kathy had no idea how fishy their stories were. Right. She has no idea. She's not there. She's not part of the investigation. She, being a friend of these people, assumes there was a fourth party that came in and killed him. Right. She's assuming these three are her friends. Yes. Your friends don't murder your husband. Right. She doesn't know any of these details, unfortunately. Um, She will eventually, obviously, but... Uh, the crazy, this is nuts. Joe Price served as a pallbearer at Robert's funeral. Mm. I mean, it's not nuts at the time because... He's playing the part. He's one of his best friends, mm-hmm. you know? And of course, you're going to hold his casket. Sure. And then freaking, you know, the poor wife, man. I mean, just, you know, after she finds out all this stuff, was like, these, 
I, I don't know. You like, know something happened. You know they know what happened. Of course they do. They were there and their their own devices were being used. Right. There's a missing knife from your bedroom. Yep. You were right there. Like, what happened? Just tell us. And the 19-minute frame of time. Now, is this an uh, apartment where you're attached walls? Yes. Because I was going to say, he had to have screamed loud that the neighbors heard. Yes. Yep. So what went on in those 19 minutes? Great question. But as more information came to light and it became clear the three men weren't telling everything they knew, um, distance grew between them. Of course. Yeah, as you would expect. Two weeks after the murder, police released a statement saying they believed the crime scene had been altered. Mm-hmm. Of course but, it has. In quotes, technicians were able to determine that the crime scene had been tampered with, including that the area where the victim's body was located had been cleaned. Mm-hmm. So um, exactly from the document. By the one-year anniversary, police were still not closer to understanding the crime or learning who killed Robert. I have a question. You mentioned the cadaver dogs. What did they find? They found the lint with some blood on it. Okay. Um, and the lint thing. And then some blood down in outside where somebody probably washed their hands okay. or clothes the or whatever. The cadaver dogs had yes. something to do with that? Yeah. They found that stuff. Okay. Got it. Yep. And, uh, you know, again, you'd normally spray down the scene and try to find... <clears throat> Try to find the evidence, you know, but the light blue light and everything. That wasn't done properly. Correct. They screwed it up. So, Kathy Wan and her attorney, Eric Holder, who Eric Holder might sound familiar. Mm-mm. He worked under Barack Obama. Um, oh. You know, just you know, no no connections or anything there. But, you know, he, he was an attorney general for the U.S. Um, he worked with Robert at his former law firm and coincidentally later served as, oh, here it is, Barack Obama's attorney general. Okay. I was smart enough to put it down in the notes here. They held a press conference to commemorate the anniversary and try to get the investigation moving again. At, at the one-year mark? Yep. So Holder specifically was talking to the three guys. Mm-hmm. He goes, quote, for those in 1509 Swan Street where Robert was killed, you need to truly ask yourselves, truly, truly ask yourselves, have I provided the police with all the information that might be relevant to the investigation of this crime? Only you, your conscience, and your God know the answer to that question. Yep. But that is a question you must ask yourselves if you care about Robert, if you truly care about his family, and if you care about Kathy. Come forward and share all the information you have. They care about themselves more. Right. And protecting themselves. Which is amazing, because any type of situation like this you hear elsewhere, somebody you know sings one of the songbirds sing there you know somebody cracks somebody cracks you'd expect dylan like you know just being kind of the the extra yeah um, maybe but i mean they have a strong relationship this family quote Mm -hmm. you know it's uh amazing Uh, so unfortunately the tough talk didn't really work i didn't think it was going to because it's obviously you feel it's still unsolved right Mm -hmm. by november 2008 dc prosecutors had had enough they charged all three men with obstruction of justice um, because of the cleaning of the scene. Yeah. I mean, it's, something has to be done. Yep. Six days later, on November 25th, Kathy Wan filed a $20 million civil suit alleging that her husband's three friends had done nothing to help him after he had been stabbed and instead spent the last moments of Robert's life coming up with the, um, covering the, up a horrible crime. Oh, exactly. They had to come together. But they were quick, though. 17 minutes. I mean, that's, that's... That's super quick to get your facts straight and not crack and not screw up. Yeah. You'd think you'd get a detail wrong, say, you know... Especially you're grilled for like 8 to 12 hours. Like, you know, the, part of the process, whether it's fair or not, is to get you to... To break. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, almost some like people, force you to admit... 
Well, and that's what I was just going to say. There are many of innocent people that agree that they did something just because they're mentally broken. Yeah, and that's the downside of it. Right. You know, it when, could use again it could be used against you, but in these in this case, these guys clearly had a part in this and yet they still Yeah, at the very least know what happened. It, they know what happened at the very least exactly. Yeah, which is having a part. Sure. At the same time. So the criminal case went to a trial about a year and a half later in the summer of 2010. So this is the criminal case. Um, you know, the obstruction of justice. Uh, even with all the suspicious evidence that brought up against the defendants, Judge Lynn Leibovitz said she didn't believe beyond a reasonable doubt that they had committed obstruction of justice. Hmm. The, and I get it. There's no direct link saying you know, that he had the cleaning agents in his room. You know, they didn't get the connection there. It was clean. They can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was them. Like, was it probably? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But not the, you know, the justice system is beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's where like 12 angry men come in. You know, you ever watch that that movie from black and white? They, it's like where the jurors go into a room and they're like, oh, the guy's guilty. But like one juror is like, no, mm-hmm. no, not, he's not. And I'm going to tell you why. And he flips everybody around. Mm-hmm. Not to ruin the movie from the 1930s, but <laughs> I saw it in school. It's it's a, one of those things. You have to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And um, they, were, they were ultimately acquitted of all charges. In August 2011, Kathy Wan settled her civil suit with the three men for an undisclosed amount. So they just paid her off, mm-hmm. basically. She explained her decision to a Washington Post reporter of why she accepted a, a buyout. Uh, she said, quote, I'm moving on. I want to spend the next 40 years of my life focusing on good. Aww. They cannot. Oh, they can rot from the inside out. Yep, they sure can. With all the secrets they chose to keep. Oh, that's their choice. I chose to move on. Good for you, Kathy. You have to. Otherwise, you're getting nowhere and it's eating you alive. Like in her heart, she knows they know something. And they're, what good is it going to do? What They're not cracking. They're right. not going to tell you. They're going to probably take it to their graves. Yep. And so good for her. She strong, has to. Strong person, man. Strong person. Well, like she says, she has a good another 40 years ahead of her. And use it for good. Yeah. Rather than these guys that and just... And Robert would want that for his wife. I'm absolutely. Not, I know. Yes. Just the limited stuff you know about him. Police don't know for sure who is responsible for the murder, but they do have suspicions. This weird thing came out like years later, Joe Price's brother, Michael. Um, he was known for crimes and kind of just doing little petty things here and there. Three months after Robert's murder, Joe Price's townhome was burglarized and they found out that Michael Price was one of the burglars. Hmm. Burglarizing Your his own, own brother. Yeah. Uh, the charges were dropped, but police looked into where Michael was the night of the murder. Just okay. out of nowhere. Like, okay, let's see what he was up to that night. Makes sense. Turned out Michael, who was taking college courses at Montgomery College, missed class that day. Um, missed the class he scheduled that night of Robert Wan's murder. Acquaintances of the Prices told police that Joseph always tried to help his brother out whenever trouble he was in. Mm-hmm. So tried to cover up or help out or you know, maybe whatever he was in. He was used to covering up for him. If Michael had assaulted and killed Robert Wan, they figured Joseph would change the crime scene to keep Michael from going to prison but no serious evidence supports this theory. Like this is something I think that just kind of threw him off. Like it seems like not plausible whatsoever. Like, okay. It's almost like, it's so too- nothing put Michael, that's his name, Michael. Yep. Nothing put Michael necessarily at that location that night. Yeah. He wasn't at his night class incidentally, which right. his school was nearby. Yes. Okay. But we don't know exactly where he was that night he didn't yeah. make it to class where the hell were you we don't know he's probably robbing something somewhere well Who yeah knows? i mean it, this is a guy I, i'd imagine it wasn't his first class that he missed ah that's what i was guessing <laughs> it's not a, it's not a huge deal to miss a college class 
And I, I just think it's kind of too far down the rabbit hole. Like they were looking for some kind yeah. of spark and they're like, maybe this will lead to something. And I, I give them credit for looking into it, but I, I, that whole thing, it doesn't really have any legs. So this is kind of the end. In my opinion, it seems something is, I mean, hundred percent, the three guys in that townhouse know something. But if it was some stranger that came into the house and stabbed Robert, it wouldn't make sense for them to wipe a knife and to lie. They would say exactly what they saw and when they saw it and how they saw it. Well, between the 911 call and after questioning, the story changed, you know? Yeah, and it just doesn't... If if they didn't... If they weren't responsible in any way, they would just tell them what happened. Right, right. So... And yeah, right, exactly. And what really happened, because anything they said did happen is impossible. Right. And that's just the thing. And but I still don't understand where the blood is, like how he didn't saturate things. It must have. Yeah. I mean, there's if you go online, there's rabbit holes all over the place. People have been looking into this, especially in Washington, D.C. Like there's some really powerful people that the ones most likely knew. And probably looked into this. I mean, there, this was like the gem of one of the cases in the FBI in Washington, D.C. Because it happened in their backyard. You know, you want to find these people. You want to outsmart these fuckers who did this or mm-hmm. the, the person, whoever it might have been. Like, somebody's going to slip somewhere. They checked emails between the, the roommates about, like, planning something. But um, I think they're smart enough not to have email traces. Yep. I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know how long Robert had this night overnight thing planned for Mm -hmm. you know was he given like months notice hey guys this night and blah 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 august 2nd whatever date that was i'm gonna be there or was it a quick thing like hey guys um in two days can i come stay at your place it feels like it's relatively quick uh i could not uh confirm this other part of the story it's a little tiny piece that i found on reddit um Somebody said that he had reached out to a female friend first to see if he can spend the night at her house. Okay. And these guys weren't his first choice. Okay. And the female friend said, no, I can't for whatever reason. Uh, He ended up going with these guys. Mm -hmm. So you got to imagine this woman feels very, you know, horrible for saying no, but but you you would never know. You would never know. Yeah. That something. So that's even less like it wasn't like he was. That's another support that it wasn't necessarily a sexual thing. Like, Uh it was like, oh, I just need to spend the night in D.C. Yeah. And then the other thing was, was there any rift between Robert and these guys that that would drive them to want to kill him? Nothing anybody found anywhere between There was no, like, money that had been lent and wasn't being paid back or something that would make them want to stab him. Right. And these guys were well off, too. So it wasn't like the money was the thing. You know, maybe they had huge debts. Who knows? Um, you know, in, in that situation, but no, none of that was found. Cause that's just the thing. You know, we've had people that's come and stayed at our house. You don't just go into a room and stab somebody for no reason, unless you're mentally insane or whatever. Like, I just don't understand even if they did do it. Why? Yeah. Uh, another weird thing I found in the Washington post article, there were a couple emails that were unsent on Robert's Blackberry. Okay. One was to his wife saying, I'm going to sleep. Another one was to an associate from Radio Free Asia saying, I'll meet you at lunch tomorrow, confirming a lunch. Okay. They looked at it. It looked like it was sent after the time of his death. Hmm. So somebody probably penned it up, the murderer or whoever it is, whoever was trying to cover things. Well, what's the point of that? I don't know. Unfortunately, they recycled the device before they could look into it further. That was a major flub. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if there was a ton there. But like everything in this this case, like everything could mean something. Of course. You know, so 
um, before they could look into it further. Yeah, the, the hard drive was gone. Uh, there's there's so many like little pieces here. There's a lot of theories. That, the easy theory that somebody that just reads the headline is like, yeah, it was a sexual relationship. Um, I don't get that at all. Yeah, if you look into the the details, that that's not a thing. It's yeah. just it just doesn't seem like it. I just picture like there's many nights, especially when you worked in the city and whatnot, that you were like, oh, I'm spend, I'm staying over the night. Like it could just be something so innocent like that that it would you know i would know in my heart you weren't sexually involved with anybody that you were staying the night and it just sounds like he was just wanting a bed to sleep in because he didn't want to have to make the commute home i spent the night at phil's apartment one night yeah you know? it was a late night and like i'm staying here and that and makes like, okay. perfect sense yeah i mean it's safer it's otherwise. just got to be so hard for kathy mm-hmm. to just have your husband spending the night at a friend's apartment yeah. like how normal is that and then you got to deal with all these people thinking that he's like a sexual deviant yeah. and stuff Not, that that sucks yeah and like you said whatever sex you're into as long as it's consensual more power to you of course but yeah she's got to deal with this and just knowing that her husband was a nice sensible respectable guy in the community and it's like his name being dragged through the mud and even though all these guys say no 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 sexual like nothing all mm-hmm. three of them specifically like, like adamant about him not being a sexual partner but which, that there's that could doubt be part there. of the story too who knows but it just sucks that she'll never know you know what really happened i think someday we will i have a feeling i don't know someday i you know i mean especially with a lot of podcasts like this like somebody's you know, given pressure here but only they know mm-hmm. that's the thing only three people and or whoever else may or may not have been involved truly know what yeah. happened but humanity wise usually people crack they can't I keep don't know. secrets not after this much time yeah yeah maybe I mean, maybe 15 someday 15 years out well people change you know eventually you go to like you know you can become a super christian or something and like or be try diagnosed to, with a terminal disease yep. and say i don't want to take this to my grave yeah atone for your sins you know mm-hmm. get it out there right maybe they get cancer or something and they're like before i die i want the truth to be known yeah but there's many bed. people too that on the deathbed they still take it with them yeah who knows yeah i guess so, only time will tell yep all kinds of theories out there, but that that was my story. <sighs> so it was the longest one so far. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Um, and you know, poor Robert and you know his uh, his widow. You know, yeah, that's really sad. Sorry, sorry it happened, but thank hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please give us a five star rating on uh, iTunes. We are on uh, Instagram and Twitter under uh, Crime and Coffee Two, Crime and Coffee the number two because somebody took uh, other ones, I guess, but. Hey, we're we're out there, and uh, we're going to come at you every week. So, anything else to add, sweetheart? Nope. Okay. Well, I love you, and uh, we'll talk to our listeners next week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.